You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Good morning, Midtown family. Really is good to be with you. I'm so glad that we continue to worship this way, whether online or here in person. I love that we've united our services and continue to worship uh, this way. I'm also excited that we have many visitors that are joining us the last couple weeks, and so I want to especially welcome you and thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, My name is Justin Christopher. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown, and for our teaching, we're going to continue our series that we've entitled The King Has Come. And what we're looking at through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're looking at the life of Jesus and looking at what kind of king he was and how different of a king he was to the kings in his day. Uh, the kings throughout history, and even the kings and political leaders of our day. And then we're also asking an additional question while we're looking at what kind of king he was. We're asking the question, are we like him? And so today we get to look at the subject of the compassionate king. Going to look at how Jesus was compassionate. And I'm really excited about this topic because it's something that I recognize way back early in my faith. I came to faith in 1988 uh, when I was 15 years old. And I heard a guy give a talk on compassion in this Greek word of compassion. And so I'm going to share some of that with you today. And it stuck with me now. Like, that would be like 30 years later in my life. In fact, last Christmas, I was gathering at my mom's house. And we got to look in the garage. And I saw this big box that just said Justin on it. And I said, Mom, can I help you kind of declutter some of this stuff? She said, well, you can, you can do, declutter your box. And so my mom had kept all these different things that she had found and put them in a big box. And so at last Christmas, I actually went through that box and sorted through things. And one of the things I found was a sermon that I wrote back when I was 17 years old called The Compassion Reaction. And it was very much from some of the scriptures that we're actually going to look at today. And so I thought what I would do this morning, just to make it easier on me, I'm just going to read to you my 30-year-old sermon from when I was 17. <laughs> Just joking, I I wouldn't do that to you. Um, I wouldn't do it to myself, actually. That would be kind of bad. But the truth be told, if I go back and look at that, I'm going to share exactly some of the same stuff. Like the same stuff is true that God was teaching me when I was 17. He's still teaching me now at 47. And I had a lot of fun looking at these passages today, being reminded of that and being compelled and convicted according to God's compassion as well. If you are a note taker, we are going to have three points that we're going to look at today. Uh, The first one is we're going to look at what compassion is, kind of how it's defined and described in Scripture. Uh, Second point, if you're a note taker, is we're going to look at how Jesus revealed the compassion of God. And third, real quickly at the end, we'll talk about how we can grow in compassion ourselves. So let's start with how compassion is defined and described. I mentioned there was this Greek word that really came alive to me back when I was 17. And this Greek word is not one you'd want in a spelling bee, because here it is, you don't want to spell splognizomai, splognizomai, which really means to be moved in your gut. It means to have a physical gut reaction to the pain or suffering that you see in someone's life or that you see in the world. And I found myself even way back then and then again this week just really challenged by that definition, by the fact that I can point to only a few times where I've actually felt in my gut compassion for someone, where I've actually felt it in my stomach was tied in knots. There have been a few times, but far less than I think that there should be and far less than Jesus had. And I know we have plenty of reasons for maybe our hearts being hard and not feeling that. We can, one, we can just be too selfish. We're kind of self-interested and busy in our own world that we don't see the pain and suffering of others. Um, another reason maybe is that we're just, there's so much pain and suffering in the world, it's just so grand that we just kind of grow numb to it because we know there's just too much out there. Or for religious people, one of the things that happens to us is we can actually become so self-righteous that all the suffering in the world, we think people deserved it and we don't. 
or if we're really honest, one of the ways that it happens that we don't feel it is because we've got so much stuff going on inside of and so much brokenness in us that we can barely handle compassion on ourselves, let alone focus and give it for others. There are any number of reasons why we don't have this kind of gut level compassion that we're going to see in this Greek word throughout the New Testament, but it doesn't really matter what the number of reasons are. It's a foreign feeling to most of us, and I'm hoping that today one thing that might happen is God might give us compassion for even just one thing. So that's what I'm praying for this morning, that this morning the Spirit would speak to each of us individually and maybe give us compassion for one thing that we would feel it uh, in our gut. So one of the things that helps not just seeing a Greek word is seeing actually how it was used and how it was described. So we're going to do just a little bit of a survey of some of the ways that it was used. And this is interesting. It was often, most often used where the disciples were actually writing about Jesus. So they saw him and they identified it as compassion. But there's a couple other times where Jesus actually uses the word on himself. He says, I have compassion. And then we're going to see in our last scripture today, there's actually one time when Jesus is using it to speak of the Father's compassion on us. So let's look at splagnizomai. We're going to start in Luke 7. Luke 7, we, it's used this way. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of a mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from her town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. That's that word, splagnizomai. His heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched her, uh, touched the, the bier that they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Splagnizomai, what does it look like? It's, it's his heart went out. He had saw a woman who'd already lost her husband and now had lost her only son, and his heart went out to her. And as his heart goes out, Splagnizomai, he came to her and said, right, came to the son and said, be raised from the dead. And he gave this woman back her son. Another account in Mark chapter 1. It says a leper came and was beseeching him and kneeling and said to him, if you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, splagnizomai, moved in his gut, he stretched out his hand and touched him. And he said to him, I will, now be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. So moved with pity, splagnizomai, he was moved with pity for this leper and then he touched him, something you never do, you never touch lepers. Who knows how many years this guy had never been touched by another human. Yet Jesus, in his compassion, and his heart went out to him, and he had pity on him. He stretched out his hand and touched him. Those are two examples where the disciples saw what Jesus did, and they characterized, attributed to what he did as compassion being what moved him. And look, to, look, at, look at two more now where Jesus is actually teaching. You know that Jesus taught his disciples, and often he used parables. And in two of these parables we're going to look at, Jesus actually uses that word describing how we should act toward one another. The first is the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. It says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where, uh, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he splagnizomai, he took pity on him. He went with him and he bandaged his wounds, poured, a, poured on oil and wine. He put the man on his donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. You guys are somewhat familiar with the parable of the good Samaritan. What does compassion look like? Jesus says compassion looks like bandaging his wounds. It's seeing a need and being moved in your gut that you're going to be the one that takes action to get something done for this man. Or in another parable, he's teaching his disciples about forgiveness. In Luke 18, this is a parable known as the unmerciful servant. This is just a clip of it, a little snippet of it right here. It says, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him, and he canceled the debt and let him go. 
So what does forgiveness look like? It looks like forgiving someone a debt. It looks like being generous and, and forgiving a debt that someone had against you. Now, I show you these few examples. There's several more that we're going to look at today, but I show you these really just to show you what splagnizomai is and then how it's described, both in Jesus' teaching about it as, as well as how the disciples looked upon Jesus' acts and said this was what moved him to do it. But the important thing that I want you to see here, the most important thing is every case, every case we're going to look at today where Jesus had splagnizomai, where he had a gut feeling for someone, he did something about it. And so I believe that compassion is not just something that we feel in our gut, it's something that actually moves us to do something. So we don't just feel it, we actually do something about it. In every one of these cases, Jesus did something, right? He raises a boy from the dead, he heals a leper. He says, if you have compassion, then you're going to bandage the wounds of the hurt person. You're going to forgive others because compassion leads to action, which is why my 30-year-old sermon that I found was cleverly called by a 17-year-old the compassion reaction. (laughs) Because when we have that splagnizomai, we do something about it. Now, before we go to point number two, I want to make just a little concession here at the start. I don't want you to feel like a heap of guilt because maybe you've never felt that. So maybe you really can't think of a time where like you were actually inwardly hurt by something. Or maybe you're like me and you can just point to a few. I don't want there to be any guilt about that. We're not trying to do that this morning. Nor do I want there to be guilt that you haven't taken action like I just described, that you haven't done something with the compassion that you felt. Uh, We're human, and we can't solve all the pain that's taking place in the world. We can't solve all the suffering in the world. But what I'm hoping, like I said earlier, is that you might have something that comes to mind today, a person, a cause, something that you would say, yeah, I felt that in my gut, and I'm going to take action toward that one thing. Even Jesus didn't heal every single person, every town he went to. He just healed the people that came to him. And so I'm asking you to ask this question this morning, who is coming to you? in your mind this morning. Maybe that's the place where God would have you show compassion. Let's look secondly at how Jesus revealed God's compassion to the world. This is so powerful. Because as we've been doing this King Has Come series, the main thing that we've been trying to point to is one of the greatest aspects of the Advent, the first Advent, the, the coming of Christ, the incarnation, what we're celebrating during this sermon series and during this season is that now that Christ has come to earth, we know what God is like. Like, go back and listen to the first sermon. That's how we kicked this whole thing off, was to say the, the most in, incredible thing is that when Jesus walked on earth, now we know from what he did and the reliable accounts of those who witnessed him and spoke with him and walked with him, we know now what God the Father is like because Jesus came to earth. And because we know that Jesus revealed God, we know that God is compassionate. We know he's compassionate because Jesus was compassionate. And Jesus revealed the compassion of his Father by doing two things, by meeting the physical needs and the spiritual needs of the people that he was with. He cared for the physical and spiritual needs, and the disciples recognized that as splagnizomai. Jesus recognized it of himself because you're going to see in a passage here in a minute, he spoke and said, I have compassion toward other people. And finally, we're going to look at one where he actually is giving the illustration that the Father has compassion on his people. Jesus revealed the compassionate nature of our God. Let's look at Matthew 14 and see how he does reveal the compassion of God. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When they landed, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Jesus had compassion on these crowds of people that came and his compassion reaction was to heal them. 
And this is even far, far, far more powerful if you actually look at the context of verse 13. 13, it says, when he heard what had happened, he withdrew. That, that We're not going to go back there for the sake of time, but what he's talking about when he had heard what happened was that John the Baptist, his friend, had just been murdered. Not only that, he had his head cut off. And so Jesus, what he's wanting to do is he's wanting to get away and be with the Father. He wants to get away to a solitary place, yet the crowds follow him. And even in his grief, he was filled with compassion and he acted on it to heal these people. It should put the rest forever the thing that we often do when we're thinking about our problems and we think, well, there's so many other bigger problems out there in the world. I don't need to go to God with prayer. He doesn't care. should put to rest that for the rest of time because even when Jesus is grieving on John the Baptist who'd been beheaded, he still sees the crowd and his heart still goes out to the crowds and he heals them. Or take Mark chapter 8. During these days, another large crowd gathered, and since they had nothing, Jesus called his disciples to him. And now he's going to say this about himself. I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. The cra- Jesus saw the, cra- the, the crowds, and he had compassion. His compassion reaction was to feed them. And you guys know the story, most of you, that this is where Jesus multiplied the bread and the fishes, and he fed these thousands of people. And you've heard that story, but maybe you haven't linked it to what Jesus said motivated him. What was it that got him going? He said to his disciples, I have, my gut is turning for these people. I want to take action and meet their needs. He reveals to us the compassion of God by meeting the physical needs of people, which means that God cares for the malnourished. He cares for the underprivileged. He cares for the marginalized. He cares for the sick. He cares for the disabled. Because we see that Jesus had compassion on people's physical needs, we know without a doubt that God the Father feels our pain and our suffering, and he has compassion for us, just as Jesus did toward the people whose physical needs he met. And we do live in a broken world with much result, the result of sin is much suffering in our world, and we know that God, this was not God's original plan, and Jesus revealed by what he did in a short time on earth that there's going to be a day where there's going to be nourishment for everyone, there's going to be physical healing for everyone, because God has compassion. So what kind of king is he? He's a compassionate king, not an aloof king. He's a present king in our suffering. He's present with us. He's not a distant king. The incarnation that we're celebrating today should prove that to us. He came to us. When I think about the compassion of Jesus, I could point to many friends in my life, but uh, the couple that comes to mind is my friends, uh, Chase and Megan Brown. Uh, Megan and I were friends. I think we've got a picture of them up here. Uh, we were friends in high school, both part of the same uh, youth group. And I was uh, speaking with her recently and just asked her to tell more of her story because I've, I've not been super close with her, but I've been following her online through Facebook and, and inter- interactions. And she told me more about her story recently. She said early when she and Chase were married, They began to ask the question, like, what purpose do we have? Like, we want to live with purpose. We don't want to just go on through our careers and live our life and not having sought God for a particular purpose for us. And so in a season of prayer and waiting and discussing together as a young family before they had kids, they they said that Chase remembered that when he was young, he saw a kid with with a prosthetic leg at a skate park. And you remember even when he was a teenager, looking at that kid and thinking, you know what? That would be really awesome someday if I could make those and then help kids that have missing limbs. And so as they prayed about it, they thought, this is what we're supposed to do. And so while they had successful careers, they quit them both. And they changed all of their plans, and he went back to school so he could begin a career in prosthetics, so he could minister to disabled kids. 
Then while Megan, uh, she was the breadwinner of the family while he was in school, so she was working at the same time volunteering for a refugee services program where she was meeting lots of internationals. And during that time of those years that he was in school, they were really trying to have kids, and they couldn't have kids. That just wasn't happening. She had some severe complications physically and wasn't able. And so as they prayed about what to do, they prayed and they thought, God's leading us to adopt. She actually described that she, she opened a magazine and saw a, about Ethiopian kids that needed adopted. And she felt the Spirit speak to her, and they said, this is what God's calling us to do. And as they prayed about it more, they said specifically what we want to do is we want to adopt Ethiopian kids that are missing limbs. And so they did. So they adopted Elias, the, the oldest one that you see there. You can't see. He's got a prosthetic leg. While she was in Ethiopia, actually, while they were doing the adoption process, she said she had a, a, a lengthy time of prayer just asking God to bring her physical healing. And then when she got back to the United States, everything with her body just got worked out, and then they had Marin, their natural-born child, biological child. They continued to seek God and looked for more opportunities to adopt more Ethiopians that were, that were missing limbs, but there just kept being barrier after barrier, and it never happened. They kind of thought it wasn't going to happen until they were presented with a miraculous opportunity to adopt Tessa where Tessa doesn't have some of her limbs at all, so prosthetics weren't going to be something that they could actually help with in her case. Yet at the same time, they prayed and prayed. And she says in one time of prayer, God spoke to her and said, I don't want you to miss out on my goodness by saying no to this. And so they adopted Tessa. They're not heroes. Uh, They don't want to be seen as heroes. But they're just a couple who sought God for purpose and direction. They paid attention to their compassion And they took the next steps and followed God's leading. I wonder what our city and our world would be like if all of us, even us at Midtown, if we did the same. If we wanted to live our lives on purpose and we sought God for direction for one thing that we could do. If we had paid attention to our compassion, let our compassion drive us to a reaction. That's what Jesus did. He had compassion on those who were physically suffering. But he also had compassion on those who were spiritually suffering, which we'll go to in our next couple of verses. In Matthew 9, this is the verse when I first heard about this word when I was 17 years old. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of his kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. See, Jesus had compassion on the crowds because he recognized that they were spiritually lost, like sheep without a shepherd, just wandering and wandering. That's how he saw people. He didn't just see the physical needs. It says that he did perform healings in all those places. But he also preached the good news, and he told them about this compassionate God and Father. And as he's preaching this good news, he also says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, you need to go do the same. And if you were to go to the very next chapter in Matthew chapter 10, he's going to send them out two by two to actually go do that in the towns. And so Jesus, Splagnizomai, made him care for the spiritual needs of people, enough that he would actually tell them the good news and go from town to town and then mobilize people to do the same. That's the compassion that he had. This idea of sheep without a shepherd, 15, when he tells three stories of people, they, people or things that were lost. There's a lost sheep, there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. In the passage of the lost son, you might be familiar with it. It's the story of the prodigal son who comes to his dad and he demands all of his inheritance so that he can go live a life of partying, partying and sin. And ultimately, he ends up out of money, in a pigsty, 
comes to his senses and realizes, I just need to go back to my father's house and just beg that he'd forgive me and at least let me be a slave. I've lost my sonship. I just need to be a slave. But when Jesus is finishing this parable, here's what he said the father did. So the fa- he said he, referring to the son, got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with splagnesomai, filled with compassion. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him. He was filled with compassion. He was moved from his gut for the son of his. And his reaction, his compassion reaction was to run to him and to smother him with his love and affection and to welcome him back as a son. You see, we saw that the disciples attributed compassion to why Jesus did things. We see that Jesus himself attributed compassion to why he did things. But in this story, he's telling us that we have a father that's full of compassion. A father in heaven that feels in his gut in a way that would move him to action to welcome us back and to run toward us. That is what we're celebrating in the incarnation. This is what God feels for you. It's what he feels for me. He doesn't want to punish you for your wandering. He doesn't want the worst for you. He's not cut you off from his family because of things that you've done. He wants you home. He wants you with him. And because Jesus had compassion on the spiritual needs of his people, we can be assured that God has compassion on all of our spiritual needs. And he knows that we are broken and that we are in need of him. What kind of king is he? He's a compassionate king, not a, not a uh, punitive king. He's a king that pursues us in our wandering, not a walled off or blocked off king. The incarnation that we're celebrating today should share that, should, should be proof of that alone, that he would come to us. See, when Jesus saw the crowds and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, he wanted to proclaim the good news because he wanted people to come and return to God. And he wanted his disciples to join him in that journey and to get the joy of doing that themselves and sharing the good news, seeing people as God sees them with compassion and sharing the good news that they might return to their father, that their father might run to them. When I think about compassion that moves someone to actually share the good news like that, I could think of a lot of people, but this week I thought of Shay Wood. Uh, Shay is one of her own. Uh, she's part of our church as a student. I got to speak with her this week and hear a little bit more about her story, even though I knew a good bit about it. Uh, when Shay graduated uh, from UT, she was, went back to the Cedar Park area to live near, closer to her parents and started her career teaching. And she described that during that time, there were some really dark things that got revealed about her family some things that had been hidden her whole life. So she's like 22 years old and hadn't known about these things and caused just a ton of brokenness and angst in her. And she described that she was hurting so bad for a couple years there that she remembered a distinct moment where she's stuck on I-35 traffic. We've all been there. And while she was stuck in traffic, she just started weeping and she said, God, I surrender my life to you. She, in response to that, then started going to the church that was near her, Hill Country Bible Church, and committed herself to join into a small group. And while she was in that small group, she didn't know it, but she joined a missionary small group, a group that was focused on missions. She didn't know that, but she joined the group and they were reading a book that for the first time, in her understanding, she learned about something called unreached people groups. People out there who have never had the opportunity to hear about Jesus because of where they live. And there's no Christians, there's no churches that are there. And she began to grow in her compassion for what what would it look like for me to go? And she's half Vietnamese, and at the time she was actually, because of some of the brokenness in relationships, she was living with her grandma. And she said that her grandma would regularly burn, in, would put photos of her ancestors in this shrine and would burn incense to her ancestors. 
That was the way that she worshipped. That was the God that she believed in. And Shay described that there was such a heaviness in the house, like just a spiritual darkness because of her practice in doing this. But rather than having her heart grow hard or wanting to move away, she let it produce compassion in her heart for the people of Vietnam. And she got curious about even the brokenness in her family, made her curious about what her life was like generations past in Vietnam. And so she set out (laughs) to be a missionary in Vietnam, where she serves right now as a school teacher and a missionary, and she's already led some of her new friends that you see here uh, to faith and follow Jesus. Because her compassion for the people of Vietnam has only grown. Like my friends the Browns, she's not a hero. She doesn't want to be. She's just a single woman who surrendered her life to Jesus, listened to her compassion, and then let it lead her to take action. She didn't know where it would end up, but she was open to the Spirit's leading. And again, I ask, I wonder what it would look like in our city if we all did the same. If we paid attention to our compassion, and we know we can't solve all the problems in our city, we can't solve every problem, we can't share the gospel with every single person in our city personally. But you can with the people that are in your life. You can with many. And you can grow in your compassion for your friends that are, like Jesus described, sheep without a shepherd, and begin to see them with God's eyes so that you would be moved to be the ones that would go and proclaim to them that they have a compassionate Father who's just waiting for them to return. He's going to run to you. That's the good news. Let me ask the third question in closing, and that's how can we grow in compassion? Because if you're like me, as I studied this this week, there was, there was a good bit of guilt of not really feeling what I felt like I should feel for the physical needs and the spiritual needs of those around me. And I really came to the conclusion that the way that I can grow in compassion is by experiencing it myself. Like I need to experience God's compassion so that I can grow in compassion. Meaning I need to experience God meeting my physical needs. We need to experience him answering our prayers and we come to him with our physical needs and acknowledging those prayers when they're answered. We need to receive his provision as his compassion for us need to draw near to him in our troubles and know that he feels what we are feeling and comforts us. When we experience the physical compassion of God on our physical needs, we're more prone to be able to give it. We also need to experience God meeting our spiritual needs, which means we need to come to him with our confession and our repentance and receive his love and forgiveness and experience the father that comes to bring us back. We need to come to him like lost sons and daughters that are returning to him so we can experience his love and affection. And we need to come to him with our worship and sing to him so that we can experience his love that comes when we express our worship to him by singing. You know, when those people who were with Jesus actually later wrote to Christians, they were very, very quick to tie the compassion that we should have toward each other toward the compassion that God has had toward us. In Ephesians 4, 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ, God, forgave you. You see, the command to be compassionate is tied to the way that we're going to grow in compassion is to remember how God has forgiven us, which is why we need to daily meditate on what Christ has done. We need to daily, as it said, teach the gospel to ourselves. In so doing, we can receive his compassion and then be able to give it to others. Uh, Worship through songs is one of my favorite ways to experience God's love and compassion for me. And so I want us to sing uh, this morning as as we end our time in worship, sing robustly remembering God's compassion upon us and asking him to renew our hearts that we can have compassion on the world today. Let me close this in prayer and ask for the Spirit to speak uh, to each of you individually. 
Father, I do pray that you'd speak to each person individually. There's so much in our world that we need to have compassion for. And I just pray for each one that you'd put one specific thing on our heart. And in the season of giving, we would show compassion and, and be moved by it to, to make a reaction and do something about it. I pray that we'd experience your compassion uh, this morning and every day. Fill us with your compassion that we can be moved to meet the physical and the spiritual needs of all those around us. I pray that we would pay attention to our compassion during the season and you'd put specific people on our hearts this morning, the people to whom we can show your compassion by meeting their physical or spiritual needs. Thank you, God, mostly for being the one who's compassionate with us. We want to worship you now and sing of that truth and as we do, make it come home to our hearts in a new way. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.